Hello and welcome to States of Democracy. I'm your host, Molly N. King. First up, we'll visit Wisconsin, where two very important elections are coming up on April 4th. Voters will choose a new Wisconsin Supreme Court justice, and the reverberations from this election could ultimately impact the 2024 presidential election. Maybe that's why candidates are smashing campaign spending records. And in a Milwaukee suburb, a special election will determine whether Republicans will win a two-thirds majority in the state Senate, giving them, among other things, the power to impeach local officials. We'll get into all that and more with our guest. My name is Zach Schultz. I am the senior political reporter for PBS Wisconsin. We are based in Madison, Wisconsin, but we cover the entire state. So, Zach, I'm really happy to talk to you today. Wisconsin has an important election coming up on April 4th, I believe. Uh, Voters will choose a new state Supreme Court justice. Supreme Court elections are meant to be nonpartisan, but I know a lot of money and attention is being paid to this race on both sides of the aisle, right? Um, tell us about the race so far and the, the spending that's been going on. Yes, it, we, it is nonpartisan, but uh, over the past 15 years, that's become nonpartisan in name only. Typically, we have a candidate that aligns, they, they call themselves conservatives and liberals rather than Republicans and Democrats when it comes to these nonpartisan spring elections. But on the liberal side, uh, Janet Protasewicz is a judge from Milwaukee County. And then on the conservative or Republican side, Daniel Kelly is a former state Supreme Court justice himself. He was appointed by former Republican Governor Scott Walker in 2016, and he lost his reelection bid in 2020. And then since then, he's been working in the private sector, usually for some conservative outlets in the Republican Party. And now he is running again in this race. Great. And I know that we've hit record campaign spending in this race. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we've already gone past the record for Wisconsin Supreme Court races. I think we've already gone past the national record for a Supreme Court race. And really, it just reflects how much this has become a partisan battleground. Uh, Janet Protese, which actually led the field, uh, she started campaigning uh, about a year ago and was doing really well, raising a lot of funds. And she very early declared herself in the the liberal camp. She was not afraid to go out and say what her personal beliefs and values were, uh, trying to broadcast to people kind of where she stood on some of these hot button issues like voter rights, like uh, uh, redistricting, like abortion issues in Wisconsin, to try and make sure that people understood where she was. Because of that, she was able to raise a lot of funds very early on. And we had an interesting primary here in Wisconsin. A lot of people are paying attention now that it's the we have down to the final two. But we actually had a four-way primary with two liberal-aligned candidates and two conservative-aligned candidates. And that got a little ugly, especially on the conservative side, because it's not that often that you see an open Supreme Court race here in Wisconsin. Incumbents tend to run again. But people knew this race was coming for a couple of years. The justice that's retiring is a conservative and she's in her 80s. And most people felt like she wasn't going to run for another 10 year term. And they knew that the balance of the court was going to fall on this particular election. It's been kind of set up this way for a couple of years. And while 
you know, everyone else has been paying to the presidential election and the gubernatorial election with good reason. Uh, those of us that really follow these kind of level politics knew that this race was the next big one. And so every election in Wisconsin is the next most important race. But we knew that this one was this important. It was going to be this big and therefore it was going to attract this much money. And Janet Protasiewicz raised a lot of money, allowed her to get on the air early. And in Wisconsin, for advertising, for political advertising, if it's a candidate's own campaign that spends the dollars, they get a better rate on commercials on the air rather than an outside interest group. And so while there were some other candidates that were able to get some outside third party funding to support them, they didn't get the same bang for their dollar that she did. And she was able to spend upwards of close to a million dollars in that primary and really sailed through with dominating numbers. Now, that doesn't mean anything when it comes to the April general election, but it did set her far and above the other liberal running. And even though they were kind of aligned, this was an open primary because it's technically nonpartisan. So it wasn't like a traditional partisan primary where, you know, the two Democrats would face each other and the one would advance. So in theory, two people aligned with the same party could have gone through, but it didn't work out that way. Uh, on the conservative side, Daniel Kelly uh, really relied on his network uh, from his name recognition from having served on the court in the past and his very conservative uh, alliances, having counseled some of the Trump campaign people, some people that have been election deniers in the past, and his, his reputation of saying he was the most conservative choice for the court really helped him narrowly get through the primary on the conservative side setting up this general election match. And while he hasn't been able to raise nearly as much money for his own campaign, he had been bragging early on that he could see as much as $20 million come in from outside parties. Uh, the Uline family is pretty well known in Wisconsin politics. They own uh, a packaging company in southeastern Wisconsin. Technically, they're from Illinois, but they dabble very heavily here. They have a lot of business interest and family interest in Wisconsin. So they love to play in Wisconsin, uh, especially Republican primary party politics. And so he was uh, aligned early with uh, one of the members of that family and said that they would see a lot of money coming in. We've seen some of that, not as much as he might have hoped for early on, but just in the last week, there was another $3 million outlay from an outside interest group. And so we expect the funding to only increase to the point where the, the ad saturation is already there. If you travel in certain parts of the state where you're used to seeing nonstop, nonstop campaign commercials, they're already filling every sports uh, show, every you know, t local TV newscast. They're everywhere. Do you think this is the future? We're seeing the future of state level Supreme Court races in this sort of hyper partisan iteration that we're in. Absolutely. With Wisconsin. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I've been covering uh, Supreme Court races for 20 years in Wisconsin. And you, you, we actually can mark the shift where things changed for Supreme Court races in Wisconsin. This is a little bit of the history here is that 20 years ago, the candidates didn't want to align themselves with a political party. They they wanted to remain independent. They wanted that appearance of independence. And even though from the outside, we could kind of say, well, they're in the more conservative wing of the of the court, or they're a little more liberal, they would get a little bristly. I mean, there was actually one former member of the Supreme Court from Wisconsin who was a former assembly speaker, a Republican, heavily aligned in Republican Party politics, who was appointed to the court by a Republican. But when you talk to him running for re-election, he said, I'm a judicial conservative, not a political conservative. But that was then. Mm -hmm. 
uh, in the late 2000s, the races got a little uglier as it became apparent that there was a lot riding on the outcomes of these decisions. And there were a lot of business groups that started getting involved in these court races, raising a few million dollars. And the first time they swamped one of these more liberal aligned candidates and really drowned her in advertising dollars, the first time that people like take a different look at Supreme Court races. And that's what allowed the conservatives to kind of get a stranglehold on the court for more than a decade. We're going on almost 15 years that conservatives have controlled the Wisconsin Supreme Court, giving favorable outcomes. So they were the first to really align themselves with the party. And then it was only in the last uh, half decade that the Democratic candidates, the Democratic Party has started getting more aligned with some of the liberal candidates. And it took a little bit for the parties and the candidates to kind of figure out how closely do we want to be aligned? Because all judicial candidates want to see themselves as independent and judicial independence is so important on the court. But at the same time, they recognize that winning elections was what you had to do first before you could be an independent justice. And winning elections in Wisconsin meant aligning yourselves with the political parties. So what Janet Protasiewicz, for example, has done this campaign cycle with announcing her values and talking about how strongly she believes in a woman's right to choice when it comes to abortion issues or coming out and saying that Wisconsin's legislative districts are a complete gerrymander and that the maps are, quote, rigged. That never would have flew 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Now, most people aren't really batting an eye at it. It's just accepted that this is the way these races are going to be with the stakes so high. And I know we're going to get into Wisconsin's legislative and gubernatorial situation, and that will wrap right, right back around to why these races are so important, is that people realize that this is the ultimate arbiter of a lot of these decisions that happen in Wisconsin and impact so many different things. So the money has come in, the attention is ratcheted up, and more people understand that there is a lot riding on these in a political sense, even if it's still nonpartisan. And let's talk about turnout on primary day. You said it's a really interesting primary. Were you there on the ground? Did you get to speak to any voters? I did. Uh, and people in Wisconsin are just used to elections being important now. <laughs> Ironically, the, 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 our, our primary in this was February 21st. So our spring primary happens in the dead of winter here in Wisconsin for these spring elections. And when I went to the polls, most of the people were talking about the fact that we had a snowstorm coming in and that school was already canceled for some of the people. So when I went to vote and I brought my kids along to the polls as part of our little civic democracy thing, you know, most of the people were talking to my kids like, oh, you get out of school tomorrow. Like they were people are so used to these elections being big and important that they kind of shrug them off, that people just expect it's their civic duty to show up and participate. We had amazing interest in our particular stories. I did long form interviews with all the candidates. We did 10 minute interviews that posted on our show and longer versions that appeared on the internet. And people were really trying, tuning in and they were reading those stories because they wanted to know more about these candidates because of that fact that they can't just align them as a D or an R. They kind of can, but they wanted to know what the differences were. People were really paying attention to Wisconsin. And on primary day, People turned out like it was a real election because they knew that the stakes were important. And there's just that we have high turnout in Wisconsin in general. This particular primary was the highest ever for a primary for a Supreme Court election in Wisconsin. Uh, we reached about 20 percent turnout. Typically, that's it can be as low as 10 or single digits in a very low stakes race or where there's a heavily favored incumbent. This one was rare. It was an open seat. There was a four-way primary with two conservatives, two liberals, and people knew this was for the balance of the court. Whoever wins this race, their ideological 
fit will determine which way the court swings in a lot of these big cases. Absolutely. And you alluded to this. Let's get into it. Uh, the next person elected to Wisconsin Supreme Court will preside over some important cases that have to do with gerrymandering and voting rights. Uh, walk me through these two cases and, and what they entail. And could these decisions uh, be decided quickly enough to impact the 2024 presidential election? Well, what's interesting about both of these issues is they're not technically before the court at the moment. They've both been decided. They're old cases. Now, the, the redistricting case was very significant in the lead up to 2022. Because we had split government, we have a Democratic governor in Tony Evers and Republicans have control of the legislature. They could not agree on a set of maps for the new redistricting process. So it went to the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which was new in and of itself. In past decades where we've had split government, it's been a federal judge who's been overseeing the, the drawing of these maps. This time, because of the conservative makeup of the court, Republicans in the state wanted the maps to be decided at the Supreme Court level. So the most important decisions that were made there is that the first one was the court members decided they would go with the least change approach, meaning they weren't going to draw the maps. They would pick from maps that were put in front of them that deviated the least amount from the current maps in their place. And the, the idea was that the maps were unconstitutional because of the population change in the districts and part of the requirement in Wisconsin laws to balance the districts as closely as possible according to uh, population. And they decided we're not going to go into any other political elements except the fact that they were going to choose between two very political maps. And so they made that decision, and then they ended up choosing maps drawn by the Democratic governor, Tony Evers. Republicans sued in federal court. It went to the United States Supreme Court, and they actually struck down those maps, saying those maps improperly drew one additional African-American majority ward in the Milwaukee area and did not properly follow the, the vetting test set out by the Voting Rights Act. So when that got sent back, then the conservatives on the Supreme Court said, well, now it's too late to draw new maps or to go through the proper procedures to figure out whether we should have added this additional district. We'll just choose the Republican maps that were offered in front of us. And so those are the legislative maps that we have in front of us. With those maps in place in 2022, Republicans won a supermajority in the state Senate, and they nearly won a supermajority in the state assembly, despite the state going by 3% for the Democrat at the top level and being generally a 50-50 state, those maps that were enshrined because they deviated so little from the last decade's maps, which were drawn by Republicans, very heavily favor Republicans at the state house level. And so it's not that the maps are coming back before the court. However, the dissent in that case, written by the three liberals on the court, said, we believe there could be a trial held by the Supreme Court to determine whether we can follow the Voting Rights Act to enact a new African-American majority assembly seat in the Milwaukee area. That They kind of called on that to happen with the idea that a future lawsuit could say, let's bring this back before the state Supreme Court. If Janet Protasiewicz wins, she's already made very clear that she believes that that should happen. And Republicans will say she's already broadcast her position on how she would vote in that particular case. But that's the case that could come back to the court. It's not necessarily there yet. And obviously, liberals and Democrats in the state are waiting to see who wins. If Daniel Kelly wins, they're not going to bother bringing it back because they know what the outcome would be. However, if the balance of the court changes, then they would see an opportunity. They would probably immediately be filing suit to try and get it back in front of the court as soon as possible to see if they could have new maps in place for 2024 
that would give Democrats at least a chance to take away supermajorities and possibly, maybe, unlikely, but possibly be a little more competitive at uh, maybe winning one of the chambers back. Now, the other case that we talked about is voting issues and voting security stuff. Most of the time, those lawsuits in Wisconsin get filed right up next to the election. And so right now, there's not a whole lot happening in terms of cases in front of the court. But what happened in 2020 and what happened in 2022 is that as you go into the summer and the fall before an election, one party or the other will file a lawsuit trying to invalidate this or that or change the rules or amend the rules. And if they don't get it done then, then immediately after the election, they will go through and file another lawsuit. And so that's usually when these things get decided. So currently, there's not any major voting issues that are going to be coming before the Supreme Court. But we all know there's another election coming. There's another lawsuit coming in Wisconsin when it comes to how we vote, who gets to vote, how the votes are counted, how the votes are cast. So this is really an ongoing battle in Wisconsin, election to election, it sounds like. Absolutely. And part of that, especially over the past uh, you know, nearly six years, is because we've had split government. Tony Evers was elected in 2018. Republicans have controlled the legislature since 2011. And so they haven't been able to pass anything and agree on any new laws when it comes to how to regulate our elections. So everything's going to be decided in the courts. And typically it's the parties waiting until the last minute and filing a lawsuit in federal court for the Democrats or in state court for Republicans, hoping to get the most favorable judge to give them the ruling that they're looking for. And you mentioned Governor Tony Evers. So let's switch over to his legislative budget that he proposed. Um, That includes a lot of information for people to understand about voter registration, voter laws, voter protections. Um, He called for the creation of a new office, the Office of Election Transparency. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, he's got a, quite a few ideas. He's proposed these in prior budgets. The The reality in Wisconsin is that these issues are already dead on arrival. Because of the way the legislative system works, the budget is really the only time that the governor can introduce ideas into the legislative system. And then because of the way our particular legislature works, Republicans announce immediately after the budget address, we're going to set aside the governor's budget and we're going to work off the old budget. Everything that's in there is not going to happen. If there is something that we find of merit, we will bring it up in a separate bill, introduce it ourselves, give it our own version. So the reality is all of those things that the governor's introduced, you can say it's more about politics and optics. This was his chance to present to the state and to his supporters, this is what I would like to see happen. This is, if I had the ability, if I had a a legislature that supported my ideas, this is what I would want to see put in place. The reality is that's not going to happen. Uh, Wisconsin elections are administered at the statewide level by the Wisconsin Elections Commission. And that actually became a source of controversy over the past uh, two to four years, in large part because of all of the the controversies and all of the conspiracy theories that were floating around about elections in general across the United States, but definitely in Wisconsin. And a couple of the Republican candidates that were running for governor last year said they would eliminate the WEC. And then they would create their own new administration to try and figure out how to run Wisconsin elections, obviously because they had lost. Governor Evers has said that he fully supports the WEC and he would veto any attempt by Republicans in the legislature to rewrite that. He has introduced his own stuff, as you mentioned, in the budget that would 
include more transparency for how things work, include more funding for how things work. But the reality is Republicans are not going to go for any of that. If there are any elements of that that they support, they'll introduce it in their own bills with the hope of getting their own name on it, as opposed to giving a win to the governor in the budget. Office of Election Transparency, that sounds like something everyone would want, right? So have they introduced their version of that yet? No, and I wouldn't expect them to. Uh, That's probably an idea that Republicans are not going to support. There's a lot of, because there are so many Republicans in the legislature, they have their own internal battles within their caucuses about which way the state should go. Those that are very much still in the conspiracy wing that still believe that the elections were stolen and there's rampant fraud and we need more crackdown and everything to secure our elections. And those that understand there wasn't rampant fraud, that that was all politicized by Donald Trump and by supporters of his. And so they have been battling internally, mostly quietly, because they didn't want to upset their voters before the election last fall. But since then, we've seen some changes within even how who is appointed to which committee. In the last legislative session, the woman in that ran the Assembly Committee on Elections was very much into all of the Trump conspiracies. She called witness after witness and lots of hearings to let them run free on the state uh, dime to talk about all the conspiracies that had no basis in truth whatsoever. And that was just allowed to go on as a way almost to appease some of those conspiracy people within the party and Trump supporters, even though there was never going to be any bills that came out of that or any realistic chance of overturning the last election. She has been replaced. She no longer is sitting on that committee and definitely not chairing it. But it's not because she had conspiracy hearings. It's because she actually turned against the assembly speaker in his election last fall and tried to beat him in a primary by supporting his opponent. And then she ended up losing her committee seat on the other end of it. So Republicans are very fractured about what they actually would want to see go forward if they had complete control. Now, if they had won the governor's race last fall, then we would be seeing a lot of proposals from Republicans about how to change elections and likely would be seeing some very dramatic changes about what takes place on the ground. But because we have what we have, it's more of a status quo situation. The majority of things that are going to be proposed by by Republicans will be vetoed by the governor. The odds of a bipartisan bill making it through would be slim. It's possible, but if it did, it would probably be on the margins in a very small bill that would change things in a most in a, in a way that wouldn't make anyone upset. Whether they're on the fringes of either party, it's going to be a small centrist thing if anything actually happens in elections. People were hoping that in the last session. It didn't happen. The prospects don't look great this time around either. And that leads me to my next question, and, and maybe it's sort of will be caught in the partisan gridlock you described as well, but there are currently 11 bills that we counted introduced in the legislature that will impact voting rights and restrictions in Wisconsin in some way. What is the likelihood of some of those moving forward, given what you've told us? Well, looking through those bills, there's not a total of 11. Some of them are companion assembly and Senate bills. They introduce the exact same language in either house and whichever moves through first ends up becoming law or getting passed. Uh, So there's a smaller number of those that are actual individual bills. The majority of them have no chance of becoming law because they would actually restrict additional rights or make it more difficult to, to vote for some people. Some of them would take away rights from felons and make it more difficult for them to actually cast a ballot by making them pay old court costs and fees and fines, similar to a bill that was passed in Florida. There's no way Governor Evers is going to sign that. So that's just a bill 
saying singling from Republicans to their supporters, this is what we would like to see passed. There's a chance that it won't even make it to the floor for a full vote, just because sometimes those can be awkward for members to take if they know it's never going to get passed. Uh, some of the other bills that actually aren't even designed to be passed, but still have a very important role to play in Wisconsin elections are sent through the Joint Committee for the Review of Administrative Rules. And this is where we get into the weeds of Wisconsin politics. So in Wisconsin, we have uh, a rulemaking process for all of the department agencies, whether it's natural resources, the Department of Health, and including the Wisconsin Elections Commission. And if those agencies want to create a rule, which becomes, in effect, kind of a law by itself, but through an agency process, there is a a committee from the legislature that oversees whether those rules should take place. And because the legislature and the governor are unlikely to actually pass any laws by themselves, a lot of what happens is the rules get passed down from agencies, and then Republicans who sit on this committee, the Joint Committee for the Review of Administrative Rules, they can kill those rules right there if they introduce a bill that would do that, and then they table it immediately, set it aside. And so some of those bills that you're you're talking about are doing that to some election rules. They're not designed to be passed. They're not designed to go anywhere. They're designed to sit on a rule proposed by the Wisconsin Elections Commission and kill it. And two of the more important ones that are out there are bills and rules that have to do with absentee ballots in Wisconsin. And this has become a big hot topic all the way back to 2020, absentee ballot mm -hmm. became a very much a sore spot for the Trump campaign and for Republicans, in large part because we saw after the po in the middle of the pandemic, so many Democrats switching to absentee balloting. And so a lot of people felt that the there needed to be more oversight in Wisconsin on how absentee ballots are processed. And one of the main issues has to do with the witness signature. Now, in Wisconsin, the way it works is you fill out your ballot. You have to have a witness, someone else, another adult, see you stuff the ballot envelope, and then you write your signature on it as you are the voter, and then the witness will sign it as well, giving their address, and then it can be sent in, and then it's a legal ballot, then it's processed on election day. What happens is state law is unclear as to what all pieces of information that need to be on that witness signature. And some people will simply sign their name, they may give an address, but not a zip code. They may miss parts of their address. They may just give the city in the zip and miss the actual house number. All sorts of things like that. So because there's not a law about what needs to be there, in past years, the Elections Commission has put out rules and guidance for local clerks on what qualifies as a legal valid witness signature on these absentee ballots. And it allows clerks a lot of latitude as to how they accept these ballots and whether they themselves can correct the ballots. And so we've seen in past elections where there will be people on election day who will check the witness signature and they will fill in a missing zip code. They will fill in a missing house number, other small pieces of information that in their minds and according to those rules did not change the validity of the witness signature and should not mean that the ballot gets cast out. In other cases, clerks can actually call the voter and say, hey, this uh, ballot is missing something. It needs to be cured. Uh, why don't you come on down, have someone properly witness it or change this or that? Now, obviously, if you're in a small community where the clerk knows everyone, then that's more likely to happen. If that ballot gets in well before the election, that's more likely to happen. If you're in a place that has more staff, that's more likely to happen. 
But that's not fair across the entire state. That's not equal across the state. In some places, there's not enough staff. They may only have a part-time clerk. In some places, they just may choose not to do that, or certain people will only get called, so they choose not to do it for anyone because they wouldn't think that would be fair. And so the guidance of these rules set a lot of parameters for what clerks can do, but it wasn't uniform by any stretch. And when absentee ballots weren't a large part of the voting population, it really wasn't that big of a concern. And when it wasn't seemed to be a partisan advantage, because one campaign or the other wasn't complaining about it, then it also wasn't a concern. But obviously that's changed in the last few years. And so now Republicans are concerned about it. So some of those bills that were introduced in the Joint Committee for the Review of Administrative Rules actually kills that legal guidance. And that's what that committee can do is it can look at rules and it can make them invalid and say, we do not approve of this rule anymore. So now that's thrown it wide open in Wisconsin as to what counts, who can give that guidance, and what the clerks should be doing. And often it's the clerks that are looking to the Wisconsin Elections Committee to say, how should we be handling this? They're the ones looking for this guidance. Because in Wisconsin, there's always lawsuits, and there's always lawsuits right before the election. And clerks are used to getting last-minute guidance that changes how they do their job on a day-to-day basis and what they're supposed to do. And Wisconsin is very spread out in terms of election administration. It's handled at the local level. So each tiny township, which may only have a handful of voters has the same clerk and the same process as the city of Milwaukee, which obviously has hundreds of thousands of voters. But they obviously have different numbers of people and money and power and voters, and it all dramatically shifts. So each clerk has to figure out on their own who's going to do this, do they have time to do this, and how it works. And so when you have the legislature killing a rule by an agency, and then there's no prospect of the two parties coming together to pass a new law, we're going to circle back and it's going to go to the courts. And that's where we come back to the importance of the Supreme Court election and your question about how important is this election to the next election in 2024, because we are absolutely going to see some of these issues circle back around. Someone will file a lawsuit somewhere, I can guarantee it, probably multiple lawsuits, that will say, this clerk is not allowed to do this and that particular ballot is not valid, I want them thrown out. And then it will be up to the courts to decide how is this going to be handled. Now, someone may try and file that in federal lawsuit. Someone may try and file it in the state court. It all depends on when it happens and how soon it happens as to who makes these decisions. But that is left completely unclear at the moment. Got it. And so would this be a safe characterization that because of gridlock at the level of the state legislature, a lot of these decisions are being pushed to the courts. And that may have informed why this Supreme Court election has turned as partisan as it has. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's all a big circular motion in Wisconsin. When one party doesn't get what they want, they will go to the courts to try and find a remedy. And because we have gridlock throughout state government, the courts are really the only venue that are left for most people to say, come to a decision. We saw the same thing after the 2020 and the 2022 elections. After 2020, we had lawsuits that were looking at absentee ballots in drop boxes and the idea of ballot harvesting in Wisconsin, all centered around absentee ballots. But the very crucial reason, because there were hundreds of thousands of absentee ballots cast in that election in the middle of the COVID pandemic. And At the time, and still today, it looks like it favors Democrats who are choosing more and more to vote by absentee ballot. Now, that could be a good way to swing an election is if you throw out a lot of absentee ballots or if you make those ballots invalid at some point or you challenge the validity of them. And so we saw the Supreme Court ruling after the 2020 election that 
absentee ballot drop boxes are no longer legal in Wisconsin, that there are rules about who can actually place the ballot in the mailbox to send it back into the court because ballot harvesting is illegal. And so one of the questions that the Supreme Court had to consider was, was it legal for a spouse to hand their absentee ballot to a child to put in a mailbox, or did that violate state law because they weren't the ones physically placing it in the box? And so the court has to get down to the, all these minute levels. One of the Two of the big items that the court did not decide in that particular case that are still open One of them has to do with these absentee ballot witness signatures, so that's likely to come back before the court. And another major ballot issue has to do with voters with disabilities, because while state law makes clear that you yourself are supposed to cast your ballot, meaning you yourself should be putting it in the mailbox, they purposely did not apply that ruling to any voters who may be covered by disabilities issues or the Disability Rights Act at the national and the federal level. Those lawsuits are likely going to be pending. There again, the Wisconsin Elections Commission tried to release some last-minute rules to give guidance to clerks, and then those rules can be struck down by the Joint Committee on the Review of Administrative Rules. And so it'll still come back around the courts to decide because someone's going to have to sue to say, I wasn't able to legally cast a ballot because I'm physically unable to put that ballot in the box, and it's not illegal for someone to assist me. Because the court kind of punted on that issue in that case, that one's still ripe for a future court to take up if someone wants to sue over that issue. And what else is important for people from Wisconsin or people from elsewhere? What's that, what else is important for them to understand about Wisconsin elections mm. right now? Well, I think the, the biggest thing for people to remember is that Wisconsin is a same-day registration state. So you do not have to have a deadline for when you register. You can go in on the day all the way up until 8 o'clock in the evening. And if you get in line at 7.59, when the polls close, you are legally allowed to vote. And if you are not registered where you live, if you bring an ID, with, so you pass the photo ID requirement and you have something, some official piece of mail or your ID that shows where you live and it's a legal voting address in that jurisdiction, you can register to vote and cast your ballot at the last minute, which is one of the reasons why in an extremely high turnout area, you can actually get more than 100% turnout because turnout is considered by those who are registered ahead of the election. Well, if every one of those people votes and then an additional set of people that just moved in also vote, you are officially above 100% turnout. Now, that's extraordinarily rare. It's usually at a ward level, at a very small voting level, but I'll give you an example of where it can happen. Dorms, college campuses, Thousands of students may live in one particular ward. And I saw it in 2022 on election day. I was on the UW-Madison campus, and I went to one of the places where the students were voting. And there were long lines of students that had only moved into their campus building a couple months before that that were registering in person for the first time to cast a ballot. They were all 18-year-olds excited to be part of democracy for the first time. And they all registered on election day and then cast a ballot. And overwhelmingly, they were voting Democratic because they're UW-Madison students and college students, and that typically leans more Democratic at those issue levels. And so the same thing could be happening this spring. There was anecdotal evidence, once again, coming out of some wards that are concentrated with college students that they were only anticipating a handful of students on that February primary day for the Supreme Court election, and they ran out of ballots, and they had to print more paper ballots. And every election, People may not understand that clerks don't print 
a paper ballot for every potential voter because that'd be a lot of wasted ballots because we don't actually have that high a turnout. We don't have 100% turnout statewide. Even in wonderful presidential you know, election years, we only get 73%, which still is pretty much a national right. record, but it's still only three quarters of the voters appear in those cases. So in some places, they have to estimate how many voters do they expect to see. And then if they're running short, they go print off more emergency ballots so everyone can have a chance to cast a ballot. But that happened on February 21st in some areas, and it's a possibility it happens again on April 4th when we get to this full election for the Supreme Court spot because the people are only paying more attention because of all the issues we talked about, everything that matters to them, everything that will matter to them, and all the money that's being spent to make sure that they're aware that this election is taking place. So how would you characterize a Wisconsin voter? How would I characterize a Wisconsin voter? Right now, I would say that they're pretty conscientious. I mean, everyone that I've talked to really wants to know more about the candidates. And that may be because it's not as simple as putting an R and a D next to them, even though we can kind of substitute in those letters. They do want to know who these people are and why it matters. Because they're used to being told this is that every next election is the most important election of their lifetime. And you can make an argument that that's been true in Wisconsin that these elections are extremely significant and we don't have too many elections that really don't matter because even at the local level, we have significant races for mayors of cities, for special elections in our state legislature that will determine whether Republicans in the state Senate have a two thirds majority and can impeach public officials. All these things at the micro level still matter as you get broader. We're gonna have county board elections in some places, there'll be school board elections. Those have become only more controversial and more political and partisan in recent years. So all of these elections matter and more and more people understand that it is part of a civic duty to care about why this matters and to participate. And I've heard from a lot of people that feel that way. Now, there are still some people that I've heard from that I know that say, uh, I don't care. I don't want to be told anymore. I'm, you know, I don't want to be shamed into having to vote. They don't participate. But more and more, we're seeing higher and higher turnout consistently in these elections than we ever saw 10 to 15 years ago. And I think that's only going to continue. So, Zach, another election coming up on April 4th is the special election you alluded to. What do our listeners have to understand about that? Well, that election is taking place in the northern Milwaukee suburbs, and that's an area that traditionally has long been a Republican area, the Republican suburbs, but that's been shifting. It's been shifting since 2016 and since Donald Trump came in, and we saw that shift in Republican area suburb, suburban areas around the country. It's becoming slightly more Democratic. Now, special elections are always a little fluky in Wisconsin. Turnout is a huge thing. Which side supporters actually show up? We saw a spirited three-way primary on the Republican side, and the Democrats kind of cleared the field for their candidate. So we have our matchup in that particular race. And the reason that it matters to the rest of the state, and even broader than that, is because that is the 22nd seat in the state Senate. And if Republicans win it, they will have 22 out of the 33, two-thirds majority. They're unlikely to be able to actually override any Governor Governor Evers' vetoes because they don't have two-thirds majority in the other chamber. But more importantly, they have what's called impeachment powers. Those have never been tested in Wisconsin because we haven't seen the two-thirds majority in that chamber. But similar to impeachment powers at the national level, it would allow the Republicans in that chamber to go after uh, certain agency heads at certain parts of the state and try and remove them from office. And 
looking at the background research, it's unclear who actually falls into that category and for what circumstances, because some of the language refers to misdemeanors or misconduct in office, and that's a pretty broad, undefined idea as to what would qualify. And for constitutionally elected officers like the governor or the attorney general, we already have recall processes, and that's been tested in Wisconsin. Scott Walker was uh, under a recall way back in 2012. He won, and he got to stay in office. So we have methods to get elected office elected officials out of office before the end of their term. But there are some people who are saying that this could be tested if Republicans win this 22nd seat and get the two-thirds majority. Not necessarily that they go after Governor Evers, but certainly perhaps the Attorney General. I've already heard word that the District Attorney out of Milwaukee County could be target number one. He's an elected official. He was recently reelected. So that would, again, test those boundaries because there is a recall process to try and remove him from office. But Republicans have already openly stated that they would be going, looking to go after his job. They've called for him to resign multiple times over crime issues out of Milwaukee. And now that could result in the assembly holding a trial and only needing 50% in order to convict or to impeach and then sending it over to the Senate if they have the two thirds majority. And then just like everything else, the way this wraps back to the original start of this conversation is it would likely go back before the state Supreme Court because it's not clear, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of questions about how far does this authority extend and what has to happen before they can actually say there's been misconduct in office or some other standard has been met in order to impeach. So this election is very important and would likely tie right back into that Supreme Court election. And speaking of turnout, this is another boost in turnout for that particular part of the state in which Republicans, in theory, have a slight advantage, but it's becoming more blue year after year. And so we could see this boost either side of the ticket, or we could see the, the overall election for the state Supreme Court impact down ballot and affect the outcome of this state Senate race. So it's a lot of things we're watching that have important impacts here in state and the legislative issues, but could be much broader in terms of what powers this might bring to Republicans if they win this seat and how they might try and use them. Zach Schultz, senior political reporter for PBS Wisconsin, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for supporting our new show. Subscribe if you like what you heard, and don't forget to share with your family and friends. Next up, we'll speak to reporters in North Carolina and then Ohio about new voting ID laws in those states. See you then.